Lord, Father, we want to come before you this, this evening, Father, with our hearts open, Lord, ready to receive the word. I want to invite you into our presence, Lord, that you would hear our worship this evening and be well pleased with it, Father. You would come down and receive this sacrifice of praise. Father, that you would come down and bless us with your presence and with your word, Father, that we'd be able to feed on that spiritual food that you would have for us this evening, that we'd be able to go forth and face this wicked and evil age, Father, refilled and refreshed, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you can pull up uh, When the Redeemed Are Gathered In. I am thinking of a rapture blessed home on high when the redeemed are gathering
I want. We, uh, I'm gonna, I don't see Brother Luther back there. Brother Joe, could you take up the offering for us? Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, to be gathered here tonight, Lord, and just to be able to come and have the opportunity to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, and just to come and bring our little licks of fire together, Father. Lord, we just pray that you'll bless this offering, Lord, tonight and the tithes. May it go to the furthering of your kingdom, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Y'all can be seated for a minute. I'm going to kind of sing the song as a special. It's strange to have the song leader sing a special, but um, I wanted to sing the song real bad, and I know it can be a struggle to sing the song because it's kind of got a range on it. Um, so if y'all want to sing along, be, feel free. If it's kind of hard to sing, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm not going to push you, but I really want to sing this. I, this song means a lot to me. Um, Brother Branham, there's several quotes. Brother Branham says this is, one of his top three favorite songs ever. And um, you ought to pull up some of the quotes where he talks about it sometime. It, it'll, it'll really do you good. I, I uh, ever hear since I you know, read about where he talked about it, it really kind of changed my esteem of the song and I, it always gave me a much bigger appreciation for it. But so I'll, um, <clears throat> down from his glory. Ever-living story My God and Savior came And Jesus was His name Born in a That is 
Come and quench. 
little bit, uh, seeing um, this world is not my home. Y'all can sit down and sing this if you want to. I like to stand up when I sing the song because it's hard to sing it sitting down. Um, <clears throat> this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my
Oh 
good to be back with you. I feel like it's been a really long time. I, I think I'm a visiting minister now, so I gotta kinda <laughs> earn back the home front is what I feel like anyway. Probably not true, but sort of what I feel like I've been gone so much and it's been a crazy six months and just uh, thankful to be back, at least for a few days anyway. And uh, we'll be back a little bit longer than that, but just praise the Lord for his goodness in 2022 and praise the Lord for his goodness that will continue in 2023. Amen. Amen. Just like uh, every other year, this year is going to have some trials and tribulations and, and some tremendous blessings as well. And... The main, the main thing comes down to how we approach it and our attitude towards it. And so uh, we understand these are things are promised to us in the scriptures very clearly. And so give thanks. Amen? In everything, give thanks. Just let that be in your heart. Uh, I know that's easy to say over the pulpit and to preach about, but to have our hearts changed and set in that direction where... Trials, difficulties come, and we say, thank you, Lord. I'm so blessed. Amen. I'm so blessed. Amen? Um, I want to speak on knowing him as life, part two. I did this in Sunday school before and, and just want to continue on the same subject. Um, we'll take prayer requests, of course, at the end of service, and if I don't go too long, maybe a testimony or two. So... Uh, our opening scripture is in John chapter 17, and it's verse 3, very familiar verse to us all. This is Jesus in his prayer of intercession before going to Calvary. And in his prayer, he says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and oh, we're so thankful that we know you. We're so thankful that you've come to us and, and you revealed yourself to us and made yourself known in such a supernatural way in our lives, Lord, and, and such a real way on a daily basis, Father. I pray that you'd take the words spoken tonight, Lord, and write them on our hearts. Lord, just help us all to rest in your presence, Lord, and just relax our hearts and minds and receive a, a, a blessing and an encouragement from, from you, Lord, and a challenge from you as well. We, we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to get out of the way, understand there's many things going on in all of our lives and, and, and things that were, are on our mind, but Lord, let us just take a, a few minutes here to lay those aside. Lord, we want you to come, Lord, and take these lips and speak into your people's lives. I just submit and surrender myself to you, Lord. Use, use me, use each one of us as you see fit tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. In the Weast Expanded Translation, this verse, he says, and this is life, eternal life, namely that they might, they might be having an experiential knowledge of you, the only genuine God, and of him 
you sent on a mission, Jesus Christ. And I just want to take a moment to emphasize on that portion. Having an experiential knowledge of you, I, I find that whole phrasing uh, fascinating because it's not, uh, it's not looking at a past tense or just a moment, but it's, a ha- it's having. That's a process, right? Having. And so if you're going to have the knowledge, knowing of God, it's an experiential. It's something that you experience in your own personal life, him changing you, him transforming you, him living in your life. And it's not just a momentary thing. It's not at the camp meeting. It's not at the revival. It's not at the tremendous uh, services that we have, but it's on a, da- on a daily basis through the grind, through the difficulties, through the trials that you get an experiential knowledge of him. And it's not enough to have it past tense in a moment. I, I, know, uh, I knew him. No, I know him. I, I am knowing him. I think, I, think of, I think of myself, sometimes you can come to a place where you feel like, you know, the message has been revealed and you study and you see things and you feel like, oh my, the Lord's really helped me to know so many different things. And you don't say that in pride, but just in thankfulness. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to the hook. <laughs> then you come to a, reach a point many times in your life and say, Lord... What's happening? I don't understand what is taking place. Circumstances in life leave me feeling like I'm in, in darkness and confusion. And you say, Lord, I'm extending my hand. Lord, where are you? I, I can't find you. Oh, that's the, that's the humbling down that the Lord does. You, I'm extending my hand. Where are you? And he says, I'm holding you. I'm holding you. Oh, you're holding me. Yes, you are. That's what the word says. You can know a lot about God, but you can know God very little. That's an important distinction to make. Knowing facts about God from the Bible. Absolutely encourage everyone to know your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, backwards and forwards. Every part of it, you should feed on it. You should fill your mind with it continually. And you should remember as you're reading it, that's limited. (laughs) We are limited, and knowing this book on a human level is limited. But God is unlimited. And so we know him by, we understand this. This is message 101. You know him by spiritual revelation. Not by figuring out who God is. If you want to bring up that PowerPoint, Brother Brad. Not, not by, and go to the next screen. He said, well, you just don't know your Bible. I said, well, that may be so, but I know the author real well. Yeah. I said, that's it, you know. It doesn't say to know his book, but to know him is life. See, Satan knows his word, but to know him, the author of the word, Amen. see. Brother Branham is not telling you, don't know your Bible. And he's not even really telling you, he doesn't know the Bible. The other fella was telling Brother Branham, he didn't know his Bible. It's not a fact. He did know the Bible. And Brother Branham never encouraged, he's not using this quote to encourage ignorance of your Bible. What What is he saying, though? Get it in the right order. 
you, you can know a lot of facts about your Bible and be so twisted up in theology that you don't know anything right. about God. Or let's bring it to this. You can be so twisted up in message doctrine from this group and this group and this group and never have come to know God personally. Know the author first. Know him by supernatural revelation. Something that's on the inside of the inside. It's, 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 it's not, I missed this portion and I don't want to miss, miss it. It's not just knowing him at a special meeting or when you feel really good about things. Everybody get that out of your mind. Wonderful to have a great service. Wonderful to shout and dance in the service. I want to do it more and more and more and more and more. But what about when your feeling is so low? What, if, what about when you're at home and the kids are driving you crazy and the spouse is driving you crazy and you're driving yourself crazy? What about then? Do we know him? Do we slip aside and say, Lord, give me strength in this moment? Because you can, you can be the greatest dancer and, and runner around the church, but without knowing him personally, in your soul, it means nothing. It's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's a continual fellowship of knowing God more and more and deeper and deeper. And it's a burning passion that follows you every day, every morning. And it continues birthing itself out of you. And it's up and down. And there's lots of up and downs. And there's lots of times where the passion is lower and the passion is higher, but there's passion. There's passion, and your whole mind and your whole heart is on the Lord continuously. You, you, you might be struggling, you might be suffering, but you're thinking about God. God, where are you at in this? Where am I at in this? That's where your heart is. It's not about you got it all figured out on every, in every circumstance and every place. God has so fixed our life that we have to trust in him. That he does things that causes us to say, what? What is happening? Why is this happening? And we have to trust him. We have to say, Lord, I believe who you are. I believe in what you're doing. I believe your word is true. That's why faith is the key. It's not knowledge. Knowledge only goes so far. Knowledge can take you real far, and then the next thing you know, you're, what, what happens to your knowledge when it's, that is challenged? When God doesn't act according to your theology in your own human life? When God does things that disappoint you? What are you preaching about this guy? Because I've been, I'm, I'm, I've been there and we've all been there. God will do things and you'll be disappointed in what you think God was supposed to be doing. And you'll be upset, and you'll be frustrated, and you'll be mad. Let's just be real with each other. That's why knowledge will only take you so far. You've got to have a submissive heart. You've got to come to that place when all your knowledge runs out, and you say, I have no idea what's happening right now, and I don't know why it's happening. 
You say, Lord, I bow my head and I bow my knees and say, I trust you. It's easy to trust the Lord at the youth camp. It's fun. It's wonderful. It's great. That's only once a year. It's easy to trust God at the special meetings. It's a couple times a year if you're, if you're blessed and fortunate to be able to be at them. You've got to trust God every day. You've got to trust him in those moments where you have no idea what's happening or why it's happening. Why did God create us? Why did he make us? Why are we here? God created man, and his purpose was for us to know him, and as a result, worship him. That's a very simplified view. Every denomination would agree with that. It goes even further than that. God, by his very nature, had attributes within himself. One are attributes of who he is as a person. Secondarily, he has attributes which are his elected seed. That's what we call him, his predestinated seed. And he wanted to express both of these attributes. He wanted to express the attributes of who he is to the attributes of who he's becoming. (laughs) So the attributes of who he is, he's a father, he's a savior, he's a healer, he's, he's just, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We go down that list. I've preached about that before. He wants us to know him, not just as a fact of lists, but in our personal daily life, he wants his attributes to come to know his attributes of who he is. So his elected seed need to come forth to manifestation. Who he is needs to come forth to manifestation. Who he is needs coming forth to manifestation cannot do so unless you and I come forth to see him manifested. So we, seeing him manifested, fulfills what God wanted to fulfill in his heart for all eternity. You, you yourself, are eternal. The thought that he has about you didn't change. He didn't come in time and say, okay, I'm looking out and see, I'll choose that one and over this one over here and that one over here. You were his life. You were in him. You were a part of him. He saw you, every detail. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to stop there. And he wants us to know him by experience, by revelation of the word, and then by experience in our life. It's not enough to know the Godhead doctrine perfectly. We know, have to know the God of the Godhead doctrine personally, right? He's made it clear. He revealed the truth of the Godhead in this day so we know him positively and according to Scripture. Wonderful. You could have that perfectly lined up from Genesis to Revelation. Great start. Fantastic. I would never discourage you from having, to, from having correct doctrine of God. But don't stay right in that position. Get to know that God on a personal level, foundational level, on a daily basis. Remember, it's having experiential knowledge of him. It's a process. It's continual. It's daily. And that's where he wants us. That's where worship, that's why there's only one provided place of worship. Right? Because it's his attributes 
worshiping him, his, him in the manifestation of his attributes. You can follow me. That's, that's complicated on so many levels. But as message believers, I think you got it. We, his attributes, must see him in his attributes of who he is. Just, righteous, etc., etc. And not just in a book. Got to see it in a book. It's all based on that book. But it's got to come and we've got to see it day by day in our life. And then from that, worship him. When things look contrary to that, we worship him anyways. In our mind, we think, how is this consistent with God's attributes? You say, God, you are true, though every man is a liar. I trust you and I believe you. I know you see the end from the beginning. I'm confused by this thing that's happening. That's all right. That's all right. Let's keep walking. Let's keep going forward. And that's the, that's the whole scripture. I just, I just brought to you the whole plan of redemption, the whole plan of salvation, and God's whole purpose for us in our lives. Let's make it clear. Philippians 3, verse 10. Do we have somebody back there who is pulling up a scripture? AWOL, Brother Brad. <laughs> Philippians 3.10, old school. Get out your Bible. The three of you that have it. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, get your phone and pull up Philippians 3.10. We're going to spend some time on this. All right. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Wonderful. That's not the whole verse. I kind of wish it was. Because the other part is is difficult. And Paul, Paul, you know, I I wish you would have, if you're listening, Paul, I wish you would have left this last part off. But we would have a major problem if we did. If God could have made a better world for his attributes to live in, he would have. Right? In order for God to express himself and to express the nature of his attributes, there needed to be evil. To bring out the very best from himself and to bring the very best out from us, his, there needed to to be evil, exist. God will never be able to express the fullness of his nature without evil existing and combating against him. You will never be able to express the fullness of the nature that God made you to be without troubles and trials and evil coming into your life. Adam knew God in power. Even in the garden, he could speak. And it would just come. He could adjust nature just by his spoken word. But it wasn't enough. God had to bring a test. It wasn't random. There wasn't just a random thing that he put the true trees in the midst of the garden. 
I know those aren't literal trees, but you know what I'm saying. It wasn't random that God made a, a serpent that could walk on two feet, that could communicate, that could reason, and that could put a seed inside of Eve. God made it thus. God made an angel that could fall in pride. And he did fall in pride, and he rebelled against God and everything that God is. Then that angel took on a form that was possible to take on through the serpent, brought forth Cain, brought forth sin and evil into the world through the human race. God made Adam, uh, Eve, in such a way she could be deceived. He made Adam so that he would take her back and throw the whole world into sin. God did that purposefully. He ordained that that would be that way because that is the best world for him to express himself in and through. If he could have made it better, if it would have been better to stay Eden the whole time, we'd still we'd be in Eden. But it wasn't God's purpose for us to be in Eden. He put a test there. And he puts a test in all of our lives. And that's his purpose. In order to bring out all that he is and all that you are, it would never happen in Eden. Couldn't happen in Eden. So this idea that, that of pros- the prosperity gospel and you just, you just give and God is a vending machine. You put money in and you know, put a dollar in, a hundred dollars comes out and so on and so forth. Sometimes God will do that. Many times God says, thank you, that's in your account in heaven. You'll see it later. And it's multiplying. Sometimes you give and give and give, and then you get kicked in the teeth. It's true. God's purpose is for those things, because he's going to bring out of you the very, very best, fragrant, beautiful odor to express him. Adam knew him in power. He could speak to creation. It would obey him. He was innocent. He wasn't mature. He was still in a position of being in innocence. He, he wasn't perfect. Sinless, yes, but not mature. And so it took the testing and trial and, 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 and all that went with it to produce. It was a, God's, it, God wanted it to produce maturity, knowing and ordaining that he would fall because he had a greater maturity that needed to be produced. Again, I want to emphasize, God, this is the very best world God could make to express himself through. You say, oh, there's so much sin. How can you say that? All the evil and terrible things that go on. Okay. All right, we'll go down that road for a second of philosophy. Let's, let's call that what it is. It's philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's using, using human logic to try to disprove what the Word of God clearly tells us. Right. Philosophy says, how could God be good if evil exists? How could there be evil, according to what you've said, mm-hmm. if God doesn't exist? Because if there is something that's bad, there has to be a lawgiver that defines what is good and bad. 
God created you and I in such a way that we are constantly judging between good and evil. The, 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 the biggest atheist and the filthiest sinner is judging between good and evil. It's usually perverted understanding of what good and evil is, but nevertheless, they're judging between good and evil. They've got it usually flipped around. But they're still, they're judging you for being evil because you say their evil is perverted. Say they're a bunch of perverts, homosexuals and uh, gender-bending idiots. It's evil. It's flat out. It's, it's flat out evil. And now I said that, I am evil. And I should be canceled. You know, this is what, this is the, this is the world. It, but it shows within themselves, they're excuse, inexcusable, as the Bible says, O oh man, that thou that judgest. For you that judge, are you condemned yourself? You're doing the very same things. You're claiming others to do. So he placed that conscience between good and evil so that we would judge according to that. Therefore, there's a lawgiver. There's a God that created everything. So we're still back in the place that there's good and there's evil. Well, how can God do that? Who are you that replies against God? That's Paul's answer. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay to make one of the same lump, one vessel unto honor and one unto dishonor? Yes, God has the right to do that. And he has done it. And he, is, he says, behold, I create good and I create evil. God is not responsible for evil. He's not personally responsible for evil. The devil is and we are. Yet he, he made it, this world, in such a way that there would be evil there. He did that on purpose because that is the best way to manifest himself and manifest his life in you and through you. I don't want you to lose that point. It's so important when we're looking at all of this. It's not, it's not about having an easy, perfect life. I'm blessed. I am blessed. But the question is, when you're down, when the, when, when, when the tr troubles are there, when you can't pay your bills on time, when you can't do what you want to do because you're struggling... Are you blessed then, till, still? Are you? You believe that you are? I believe that I am. Contrary to all sight and vision and what my life is telling me, whatever it might be, I believe that I am blessed because God's word said so. And not only that, I feel that in my heart. I'm not just saying that. I feel that in my heart genuinely. God knows the ones that are his. Yes. 2 Timothy 2.19, I'm just going to read that quickly. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows, he knows who belongs to him. I think that's even better than knowing him. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing him. But even the better, best thing in my life is him knowing me. Because many people know about God and they can be confused and think that they have a personal relationship and know God. But it's a whole completely different thing to say, Brother Chris, God knows me. Oh, how can you say that? Well, 
let me tell you. <laughs> let me walk you through my life. Let me tell you my testimony. Let me tell you what happened yesterday and the day before and what's happening today. He knows me. That's the best. That's the greatest thing. He knows them that are his. And the worst words you can imagine, depart from me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. They knew plenty about him because they were casting out devils in his name. They knew a lot about him. But they didn't know him. And he says, I didn't know you. Oh, sure, he knew the fact that they exist, but he didn't know them personally and intimately. And didn't call, he didn't call them. So back to the scripture, I didn't get to this point, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, I never even finished reading the, the, the verse, did I? And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So if we just know him in the power of his resurrection, we don't know him in fullness. What? If you just know the power, you don't know the fullness. Adam knew God in power, but he did not know the fullness. You have to join him in the fellow. That's, by God. That's why I was making that point about evil. To know God in fullness. You want to go, who wants to know God in fullness? Who believes that the message restores it back to us? our capability to know him in fullness, I believe that with all my heart, then you need the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable unto his death. There's where you'll know him in fullness. Jesus was made perfect by the things that he suffered. Didn't say Jesus was made perfect by the power that dwelt within him. It says he was made perfect by the things that he suffered. He needed the power. I'm not saying we don't need to know him in the power. If we don't, we, don't, we only know part of it. That's part of it. But we need the other part to complete it, to be made perfect, to be made, brought to full maturity by the things that we suffer. And when we do that, we're made conformable to his death. Then his life is, that power is manifested in fullness through us. And so... Again, we, we know God. He's revealed himself to us. You've seen his hand in your life. But the best part of that is him knowing you. Amen. Psalm 139. Spoke about it last time, but there's just so much there. Psalm 139 and verse 1. Got it, okay, great. Oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandeth my thought afar off. So, David is not trying to make a fancy speech about God's omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, right? David knows that. We know that God is omnipotent. We know he's omniscient. We know he's omnipresent. This isn't a theological phraseology that's being brought forth. This is a man 
who is speaking of what he has had revealed in his personal life. He's not bringing out a fact, a list of God's, who God is. He's saying, this is who I know. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. This is something that's precious. You know, you know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You understand my thought afar off. I, I think what this means is God isn't afar off. I think what it means is you understand my thoughts long, 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 long before I ever have them. Thou compassest my path. The word compassest literally means to winnow. You winnow my path. What does that mean? It means God is, is sifting out every step that you take. Your whole, he's, he's, another way you would say it in a simple way is he's planning it. You plan my path. Mm. And my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Think about that. God knows all your, he, he knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows your good, the good about you, the bad about you. He knows the nature that you have. He knows every single intimate detail. He knows you better than you know yourself, than you think you know yourself. Every detail. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. That's both encouraging and challenging at the same time. Look at this. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. So he's planned your way. And to be beset behind and before it means somebody's in front of you and somebody's behind you. And it's God. God is in front of you and he's behind you. He's planned the way. He's winnowed it. He's furrowed things. He's, he's prepared everything just right. He's put... Hedges of thorns there for you to run into and, and, and for pain to come and difficulties and trials. He's put all of those things, everything, everything that you've gone through, every path that you've gone. You can't say, well, I got off the beaten path there. I, I really uh, went the wrong direction. Well, what you did maybe was wrong, but God planned your way. Don't, don't think that you can over, you're going to overpower God's plan. You're not going to. Now, that doesn't mean that many times we do things that are sinful, that are wrong, and we have to repent. And yet, it was, it was planned that way. Come on. This is David speaking. What did David do? Things that we don't even want to talk about in front of our children. The Bible is open and plain about it. Adultery and murder and these different things. And it's terrible. And God ordained that to be that way. God didn't commit the evil and he didn't force David to do it. David wanted to do it. That's not it. But God ordained that for David's life so it would be in the Bible. So that we would see it and know it and be warned by it. And not only that, Solomon came. And the whole line, 
all the way to Jesus. And so God worked intimately in that. Terrible mistake that was made. And laid thine hand upon me. So maybe it's great. He plans it. He besets us behind him before. And then he puts his hand right upon us. You believe that? That's your life? Don't take this as a great theological point. Is this your life? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Look at, look, look at this statement. It's, I mean, I, I guess you look at it and one say, why is it confusing to think that God, or difficult to understand, God's ordained my path, he's, he's there in front of me, behind me, has his hand upon me, because David lived in a life full of mess-ups and mistakes, and he knew his own heart, his own weakness, and that's why it just, you know, this, this, this verse is, uh, you know, if you put it in modern kids' talk, it's the, the mind-blown emoji. How, how is it, this is incredible. How is it possible? I can't hope to figure this all out in my lifetime. It'll take all of eternity. Whither shall I go? From thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Now, why would you want to do that? There's times in our lives where we get to the place where we're doing that. No, 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 not, not any of you guys, but me. <laughs> me, I do. You guys are strong. I'm, I'm a little weak sometimes. We all get to that place where we feel like, what am, I, what am I doing? I'm just done. I'm just going to run. If I send, uh, the, what's even more incredible is as we go forward, you'll see this. If I send up into heaven, you're there. We knew that. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. To, to me, when I see this, is how much God's presence is a attached to his predestinated seed. Wherever you go, he's going with you. Yeah. <laughs> I love this next part. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, oh, Jonah, even there shall thy hand be near me be around me. It says, actually lead him. So here you have a man saying, I am going to run from God. He says, takes off and starts running. And God's going, okay, you're running, but I'm leading you there. I was already leading you there. And more than that is, my right hand is holding you. The right hand is the hand of blessing and mercy. So his right hand is holding. So Jonah says, I am not going to those wicked sinners. I'm going the other way. And God has him right in his hand. He's there in the boat. He's, th he's there in the storm. He's there in the water. He makes a fish. God was there the whole time. 
Jonah did sin. Jonah suffered because of his sin. And God ordained that Jonah would run from him. And God ordained that there would be a protection for Jonah. Even at the same time, while his wrath was bubbling forth towards him. That doesn't make sense, preacher. It doesn't need to make sense. Who are you that's replying against God? It doesn't have to make sense. It is a fact. It is scripture. It is. This is David's experience, running from God, running, running away, and realizing while he's running, he's just on a treadmill in God's hand, and God's carrying, for, carrying him forward. This should be the greatest thing that you're hearing. This is so phenomenal. This is so encouraging to me to know all my ups and downs and my, my failures and my failings that God ordained it to be for a purpose. Even there shall I, when I'm running, I mean, don't, don't divorce that from the context. If I take, where, where will I run? Where will I run to? Your hand will lead me there. And your right hand will hold me. I'm not encouraging you to sin. I am not encouraging you to run away from God. It hurts. It hurts. Sometimes he leads us to those hurts for an eternal purpose that we will understand better by and by. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. I mean, sometimes we think crazy thoughts, don't we? Even the night shall be light about me. Have you ever been in, in, that, in a dark place in your life? And you think, I don't have any faith, I don't have anything, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm a goner. And, and the Lord says, even the night is light about me, about me, about me. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins. You've created my kidneys, is what that means, literally. Kidneys was another way of speaking about the innermost thoughts, feelings, hearts, uh, feelings and intents of the mind. So not only he... He doesn't only know them, but he created the very nature that produces those thoughts, those feelings, etc., etc. So God formed us. He formed the very nature that you are in this very flesh. The good things and the bad things, and the, but all of it is there to express something very specific in and through your life. You have covered me in my mother's womb. So that's speaking, speaking of, I don't know all the terminology anymore, but all the, the, the gooey stuff that's in the, in the womb and <laughs> the, the bags of waters, I think that's the word. for God has covered you. He's taken such care 
that he's, he's covered you in, the, in your mother's womb. Don't, don't take that. Well, he does that for everybody. This is for me. God covered me. When I was still in my mother's womb, God was covering me, and he was, cre- he was creating my kidneys, <laughs> literally and figuratively. He was there. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's for every single person here, and God doesn't make any mistakes. He made you exactly the way you are, and he did it with reverence. God himself had reverence for what he was doing in your mother's womb. He revered what he was doing in in your mother's womb. Marvelous. This is David. Hey, David, just calm down a little bit about yourself. (laughs) Marvelous. It's the truth, because it's for all of us. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. All right. God didn't come to build your self-esteem. He came to build himself up in and through you. But if you want to feel good about yourself, read Psalm 139 and understand that it's written about you. So no matter what you think you look like in the mirror or what is you think might be lacking, God has made you individually marvelous reverently, and it's, and, and it's marvelous in his sight. Does your soul know that right well? Well, the devil is totally against godliness. And the devil is totally against us looking at the right level, right? Satan wants you to be thinking about, well, I feel really down about myself. Self, myself is self, 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 self and self, self, self. Why your eyes are on yourself. (laughs) But not according to God's word, according to the worldly standards, according to what the devil says to you. Instead of looking in the mirror of God's word that says, God formed me and shaped my very nature from my mother's womb. I'm reverently and wonderfully made and I'm marvelous. That's what God's word says, young ladies. When the devil's telling you something different, God's word says you're marvelous and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And David says, my substance, verse 15, was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth from the very beginning that God made it, made, brought together a sperm and an egg to make an embryo that started growing, and that whole process, God was there shaping every aspect of it. Now, you say, that was just nature. It'll do it. Okay, that might be true for most of the world. But for the predestinated seed, God, I believe that this is not, this is speaking about the seed of God. You say, nature does that, maybe. But I, I believe in the seed of God, that God is there overseeing the whole process and he's watching over that. And there's an angel there, right there. And God is, God is there by his presence watching over every aspect and making sure 
everything happens perfectly, exactly the way he wants to bring it to pass. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, it means not fully formed. And in thy book all my members were, were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God has taken such care about every aspect about you that he has literally written every one of, every one of your members, every part of your body, soul, and spirit is written down in a book before the foundation of the world. Before you were ever created, for all of eternity this was written in a book, every single detail. And he doesn't just set it in order, but he comes and makes sure that every detail is taken care of perfectly in you. So his predestinated seed are going to turn out with precision the way he wants them to turn out. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How, how great is the sum, how vast is the sum of them. Okay, how, how, how many? 3,000? How many thoughts does God have about you? Don't lose track of this, you guys. How many thoughts does God have about you and your life? What meticulous planning has God made for your life, for every detail? Well, I made a wrong turn here. I don't believe you did. Don't believe you did. Believe God has you. And he's meticulously written out your plan. If you weren't supposed to be here tonight, listening to me, hopefully keep you awake for a few more minutes. You wouldn't be here. And there's nothing you could do to change that. Absolutely nothing you could do. How, how many thoughts does he have? How vast is the sum of them? Next verse. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. I mean, just fathom that. Our sand here, out at Hunting Island, just grab that in your hand and start counting, and you'll just say, that's impossible. <laughs> in, in less than one second, you'll throw it aside and say, it's impossible. That's how many thoughts God has about you. So, do you think that God loves you? Do you think that he cares about you? Do you think that he's taken in, is involved intimately in your life? Does he, know, does he know you? Do you know that he knows you? We, we always say, do you know that you know that you know him, but do you know that he knows you? Because that's vastly more important. Because him knowing you is everything. Romans 8. Verse 28 will start. And I think after I've studied this, looking at Psalm 139 and then going to Romans 8, like if you understand these sort of as a, two pieces of a puzzle going together, it's pretty incredible to see it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Again, this is not merely 
things just work together for good. It is God is working in all things to make them for your good. Again, this, goes to, this will go to the question, what is good? What is actually good, right? Because if you think that everything going smoothly, the mortgage is always paid on time, every bill is paid on time, um, you never get sick, you never have struggles, you never have trials, if you think that's good, then that's not what we're talking about. And that's not what the Word of God is talking about. It's that God is taking all things and he's working them for your good. So the all things contain things that are evil, right? So God is taking the things, I mean, this is, this is the story of Joseph. What you meant for evil, God meant for good and to save lives. And so what people mean, what the people and the devil means for evil God harnesses that in your life and he turns that around for your eternal good. See, that's our problem many times is we're so focused on the things of this life. God is trying to prepare a people for a rapture, for a body change, to live in eternity, right? The word is coming to, 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 to put us into a new body that will never die and never get sick. The body we're in now is going to have all, it's going to get sick, it's decaying, it's in the, by the time you reach a certain age, you're just in the process of dying, right? You're getting older, your, your, your hair is getting gray, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's just, that's what happens. That's what this life is. But there's a body that he's preparing, that he's sending vitamins for, right? And I, I, I believe the word is that vitamin, but I also believe the trials and difficulties sure. that we face are also the vitamins right. if we take them. Mm -hmm. If we take them right, if we have the right attitude, we can let those vitamins spill out onto the floor that God's sending, and then he's going to send more vitamins. Mm -hmm. And he's going to say, I'm waiting for you to take them. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to say, thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're working in and through this trial and this difficulty it hurts. It's not fun. Deliver me from it. You have promises in your word, and I'm taking them as more real than what I'm going through here. That's how God wants you to take his vitamins. Now that body is growing and getting stronger and being made ready for us to step into it. And God is going to have it ready. There's not going to be one of those uh, theophanies and those bodies that God is preparing that is not going to be ready. He will be sure to do it. Because it's his work. Yeah. It's what he's promised to do. He's the shepherd. Mm -hmm. So God is working in the things that we might call evil to turn them out for our eternal good. To them who are called, called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he's, gonna, he's, going, he's going to conform us. He's foreknew. This word speaks of foreordain, foreordaining. He's foreordained. So he's seen it beforehand and ordained it. And he also predestined. So he sees it beforehand, and then he sets our destiny. 
based on what he's seen beforehand. So what is your destiny? To be conformed to the image of the firstborn son. That's both in your character and nature, but also in a body change. You'll have a body like unto his glorious body. Right? Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So here he's going through the process. He's, pre- he's set your destiny beforehand. Well, here's the process. He, call- he calls you. Who called you? The preacher? Yourself? No. God called you. He presented the gospel before you. He opened your heart. He filled you with the Holy Ghost. Them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Lots of things. Lots of things are against us. Thousands of things are against us, it seems like, day by day. But who can effectively be against us to turn God away from us? No no one. It's impossible. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God so ordained that he would send his son and he sacrificed his son, gave him up so that he would suffer a terrible death, ordained him to that death, if God did that, is he not going to do everything that is necessary to bring us and get us to where we need to be? Yes, he will. That freely give us all things doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It means that he'll, he will be all that you need. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Tons of demons. Satan himself. Lots of people are doing that. But who can do it effectively because it's God that justifies. No one could do it effectively. Who is he that condemns? I mean everybody. Some people in the church are condemning me. For preaching this sermon. But who can do it effectively? No one. Because it's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now I want to ask you a question. What point does Paul lay it on you in, in these verses? It's up to you to get, make it there. He's laying it all on God through Christ. All of it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, let's understand that in the context. Let's think about Psalm 139, how God plans your path, besets you behind and before, lays lays his hand on you. Even when you're running away from him, you're simply in his hand. And he's ordaining that for a purpose. Don't run away from him, run to him. And, but remember, you're in his hand. Nothing can separate us from the love, right? You can't separate. God has predetermined before the foundation of the world that he's going to love you. Are you going to change that? Is someone else going to change that? There's just no possibility, right? So who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
All right, so now Paul's going to go into some evils. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? We read these words, and they really uh, disconnect, feel like, in a way, we disconnect ourselves from these things. People in the old days went through those things. We don't really face that. So let's just, um, I'm not saying we need to update anything, but for our understanding is, shall losing your house separate you from the love of Christ? Shall losing your job and losing everything that you have separate you from the love of Christ? I mean, let's get real. Famine, what's nakedness? Get some clothes on, man. I think it means inadequate clothes for the weather. Thank the Lord we're in South Carolina. If you're in, when you go back to Minnesota, all clothes are inadequate, it seems like. <laughs> At least that's what it felt like to me. I forgot what it was like to go outside and it just hurts. Those things are not going to separate us. I mean... Peril, sword, somebody comes and shoots you, is that going to separate you from, somebody comes through those doors and kills every one of us, is that going to separate us? Is that going to be saying, oh, that's a sign that God didn't love them? Nonsense. It has nothing to do with it. Oh, he couldn't pay his bills on time. What a failure. God doesn't love him. Well, maybe he is a failure, but don't mean God, it doesn't change God's love. It, it, it absolutely does not. We have to get our eyes off of these things, and we think, well, it's a great blessing. Sometimes a lot of money is a big curse. And so don't, we don't, don't think that just because somebody's got it good in this life, they're so blessed. Well, I'd like some of their blessing, but, you know, <laughs> that's not what means God's love in your life. Sometimes God brings you through very hard, difficult times, and the bills can't get paid on time, and and um, you can't go grocery shopping when you want to, and and, and these different things that you, you know you feel like you need to do, and yet you you can't do them, and and, and God, this is God's purpose in your life, to to try your faith. It doesn't mean He doesn't love you. It means He does love you. And so that, this, this is so critical because in our day, our, we, we have to be closer over there. Enoch was closer over there than he was here. So God said, just come over here, Enoch. And so we need to be getting to this condition where our eyes and our heart are fixed in such a way on where God's love is and where our treasures are so that we can, God can just say, well, you're just closer over here. Just step on over. And so God's working that in our hearts. He's going to work it in our hearts. And sometimes that means he takes things away. And sometimes that means he, 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 he allows us to be sick and not yield instantly. And, and, and then, you know, it's, it's, he allows those things because he wants our eyes to be on eternity. And he wants us to be thinking more about sending things, on, vitamins ahead to the, that body 
than on building the here and now and being comfortable and things being easy and good in the here and now. We all want things to be easy and good. They're not going to be. They're not going to be until we're over there. God has not ordained it to be easy and real smooth now. He's ordained that we go through trials. Through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom. As it is written, oh, Paul, why are you quoting this psalm? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That doesn't, I want to be blessed, Lord. I don't want to be accounted as a sheep for the slaughter. This is the blessing. This is the blessing. And we're, our eyes are so tied unto this life that we miss these things. For thy sake, we are ki- Every arrow of the devil, every flaming dart of the devil is pointed against us and coming against us. And God has ordained that for your life. Thanks, preacher. Thanks so much. Feel great. You will after in a minute. We're killed. We're like sheep for the slaughter. Nay, why are these two verses together? Can you imagine a human being writing this? This is God through a messenger speaking truth to us. Let's not miss this. We need to be ready for a body change, and we're not going to do it, be ready, until we see what a real conqueror is. You're telling me that someone that goes through tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, is this a conqueror? Yeah. I'm telling you that. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It isn't you that God is relying on to be a conqueror. It's through him that loved you. And a conqueror is vastly different than a tyrant of this world. Sometimes the greatest conqueror in ages past was burned at a stake. And God says, that's my overcomer. That's my conqueror. What? How is it possible? You're looking at just this life. This body will die or it will get changed. One or the other. And this, this life... Is temporary. I mean, think about, think about what percentage of your life right now is it of eternity? What percentage? Calculate that for me, y'all. I need a good calculation. Micah, you could do it for me. You know what it is? It's zero percent. <laughs> Fifty years of eternity is zero percent. Because eternity is infinite. It doesn't end. There's no ending. So your life right now is very short and very small. If you finish this life with faith in Christ in your heart, you are a conqueror because you've just lost 0% of your life. You're now set free from a body of sin and death. You're now set free. You're now entered the ring 
of conquerors, the champions, <laughs> the overcomers. There's, there's, there's no greater one that God looks to. It's not the person that is a great conqueror in this life. Genghis Khan is a big sissy compared to you guys. In God's eyes. One of the greatest conquerors in history, and God says, he's in hell. He's, he's, the fire is eating, eating him up. And uh, Polycarp, he was burnt for 0% of his life. Isn't that beautiful? You really think about that. This life is a vapor. And regardless of the trials that you go through when you get over there, the first thing that you're going to think is, why did I ever worry? That's what the prophet told us. Why did I ever worry? We're killed all the day long. Okay? No. Nope. That's what Paul is saying. No. For, the, for thy sake, we're killed all the day. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Look now, because of, the, because of what he's said and because of what he's written, for, because of these things, verse 38, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. I mean, an angel, remember this, an angel in just a few moments killed 385,000 member military. So we're talking very powerful beings that in an instant can kill hundreds of thousands of people. It cannot separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You believe that? Nothing can separate you. So when we're saying nothing can separate you, we hear that quoted, but remember the context of the verse, it's circumstances and situations and sufferings of this life. The very things the devil tries to put in your life to make you doubt, make you disbelieve, God says, that's not going to separate you from my love. When are we going to take that? When we're going through it and say, this won't separate me from the love of God, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can we do that? Can we take that and be, that, be the conqueror? You're going to be. So let's just take it now. <laughs> That'll change a lot of things if we take it now. But God allows, God, God I, love, I love, I think it was Brother, da- Brother Dale when he said he was going into the surgery, this is a predestinated trial for me. And it just, just was like, a, it locked me it, instantly. I said, my, that's good. I'm, I'm going to use that forever. So this is a predestinated trial for me to overcome in. What if you die, brother? This is a predestinated trial that I have done the ultimate overcoming in. Again, you know, we'll have a funeral for you and we'll be sad and it'll break our heart and we'll, 
you know, cry about it the rest of our lives probably. And yet, knowing, <laughs> knowing you're rejoicing, right? And we should be rejoicing with you. Let's, let's have eyes on eternity, amen? Musicians, if you'd come. I'm just going to read a little bit of a quote as you come. It's a very lengthy one, Brother Brad, if you want to bring it up. It kind of is a summary of everything that's been said. It's from the Church Ages book, Samaritan Church Age. How, how can God be just and loving if he stands by and watches his people suffer? That is what they asked in Malachi 1, 1 through 3, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. You see, they could not figure out God's love. They thought that love meant no suffering. They th thought that love meant a baby with parental care, but God said that his love was elective love. The proof of his love is election. That no matter what happened, his love was proven truly by the fact that they were chosen unto salvation. Because God hath chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. He may commit you to death as he did Paul. He may commit you to suffering as he did Job. This is his prerogative. He is sovereign. But it is all with a purpose. If he did not have a purpose, then he would be the author of frustration and not of peace. His purpose is that after we have suffered a while, we would be made perfect, be established, strengthened, and settled. As Job said, he put strength in us. You see, he himself suffered. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He was actually made perfect by the things that he suffered. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. In plain language, the very character of Jesus was perfected by suffering. And according to Paul, wow, I just lost it all. So I'll look up there. Uh, he left has left his church a measure of suffering that they, too, by their faith in God, while suffering for him, would come to a place of perfection. Why did he want this? James 1, 2, and 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Why does he stand by? The reason is in Romans 8, 17 to 18. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Unless we suffer with him, we cannot reign with him. You have to suffer to reign. The reason for this is that character simply is never made without suffering. Character is a victory, not a gift. A man without character can't reign because power apart from character is satanic. But power with character is fit to rule. And since he wants us to share even his throne on the same basis that he overcame and set down, in his Father's throne, then we have to overcome to set with him. And the little temporary suffering we go through now is not worthy to be compared to the tremendous glory that will be revealed in us when he comes. Oh, what treasures are laid up for those who are willing to enter into his kingdom through much tribulation. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that are to try you. That is what Peter said. Is it strange 
that God wants us to develop a Christ-like character that comes through suffering? No, sir. And we all have trials. We, all have, we are all tried and chastened as sons. Not one but goes through that. The church that is not suffering and is not being tried hasn't got it. It isn't of God. Hebrews 12, 6, and 8. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Now this special condition in Smyrna must be applied to every age. There is no age free from it. There is no true believer free from it. This is of God. This is the will of God. It is needful. We need the Lord to teach us the truth that we are to suffer and be Christ-like in doing it. Love suffereth long and is kind. Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And how shall I prove my love to him? By believing what he said and by conducting myself with joy amidst the trials that he in his wisdom allows to come to pass. I, I love that. Conducting myself with joy. That's a challenge. Trials come. They're meant to tear you down, make you feel weak, make you feel depressed. That's what the devil has sent them to accomplish. But God intends them for good. If we'll take them with joy, then they'll accomplish the things that they're supposed to accomplish in our lives. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for your word, Lord. I pray that you'd encourage your people by it, Lord. That you would take it and may it be a strengthening to them, Lord. May it be brought to their remembrance, Lord, as they go through things in their lives. And turn our hearts, Lord, towards home, towards eternity. Lord, rapturing faith is coming by the word, by the message that's for us today. And and by the things that we go through in our lives, Lord, you're preparing us a body there, Lord. We thank you for these things, Father. We pray your blessing and your strengthening on each one, Lord. I pray that you would, Lord, break every uh, yoke of, of bondage, of depression and, and sorrow that would come upon us through these trials, Lord. May we fight through them and know that these things will not separate us from your love. Thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. He knows my name.
few prayer requests tonight. Um, I know, I think Sister Deb is home, not feeling well. Let's remember her in prayer. And uh, from Brother Bruce Paris, says, would you please continue in prayer for Sister Linda? She thinks her severe pain might be an ovarian cyst that has plagued her so many times over the years. Also, Brother Bruce says, I'm having difficult, a uh, great deal of difficulty with my sleep cycles, mostly no sleep at all. May the Lord Jesus truly bless you all, Brother Bruce. A prayer for Brother Samuel St. John. He had a seizure last night, and the doctors are running tests to determine the cause. If any of you have prayer requests, just lift your hands and make them known to the Lord. He sees what's behind that. And he knows and is able to meet every need. Amen. Gracious Father, we just come before you now, Lord, and we're so thankful for your great and precious promises, and that by them we are made partakers of, of your divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Lord, thank you. Lord, we want to lift these requests to you, coming boldly to your throne, Lord, with these requests. For Sister Deb, we ask for a supernatural touch for her, Lord. Heal her, make her totally well, Lord. We pray for Sister Linda Paris. Would you just take that assist away, Lord. Take that pain away. Lord, I curse that thing in the name of Jesus Christ. And may she be fully healed and may it not, never plague her again. Lord, and I pray for Brother Bruce, Lord. I, I know the distress and the frustration of having sleep cycles all messed up, Lord. And we know the, the devil works so hard, Lord, to take away our peace and our rest in you, Lord, and I just ask, Lord, that you'd restore his sleep, Lord. May he sleep peacefully tonight, Lord, and, and the nights moving forward, may, may he just find, find that place of rest, Lord, and may that sleep, the sleep cycles be completely restored and healed in Jesus' name, Lord. We pray for Brother Samuel St. John and what he has went through, and, and no doubt, uh, very scary thing for him and for the family, Lord. I pray you comfort their hearts, Father, and just bring complete and total healing, Lord. Give the doctors wisdom. Give them wisdom, Lord, and, and may something like this never happen there again, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, and the, the hands lifted with requests to you, Lord, real requests and desires and needs behind them, Lord. You, you see every heart, Lord, and you see their request, and they're holding it before you. They lift that hand. Lord, it signifies that they have, they believe that you're a God that loves them and that hears their prayer and that they have faith that you'll meet that need, Lord. Oh, I pray, Father, that you'd intervene in every need and every heart and every situation. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? He knows. He knows our name. He knows you. That's, to me, that's the greatest thing is he knows Jason DeMars. Put, put your name there. He knows you're down-sitting, you're uprising. He knows your thoughts long before you ever get them. He knows every detail. He, he created your kidneys. Amen? <laughs> Take that to mean something more than a little joke. He created every part of your nature, who you are, and he wants to express himself in a beautiful way through that nature that he's made you with. He's formed you and his thoughts about you 
They're more vast than the sand on the seashore. Amen. That's, that's incredible. Take that into your heart and believe that. You're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows my name.
Uh...